We've all heard the expression, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, run 26.2 miles, and brag the rest of your life. What you don't hear is that your friends, your family, and especially your coworkers grow tired of hearing about your early morning swim, how you skipped lunch to get a spin class in, how you crushed your brick workout, or how you've become a math whiz at calculating your macros. My name is Mike Bosch. I have a wife, two sons, and a full-time job. Five years ago, I began my triathlon journey with modest intentions. I wanted to lose some weight and be able to claim that my best athletic days weren't behind me. After completing my first sprint triathlon, I was bit by the Ironman bug. Three years later and 50 pounds lighter, I completed Ironman Texas, and I couldn't have done it without an incredible support system. Everyone needs a support system, and that's what I'm offering you. I will talk to men and women just like you and me, the age group athlete that is juggling family, friends, work, and all that life has to offer on their journey to accomplishing an incredible goal. This podcast will offer recommendations on training, nutrition, some tips and tricks, and even strategies for race day. Whether you're training for your first race, looking to set a personal best, or have completed a full distance race on every continent, we all want to cross the finish line and hear those words, you are an Ironman. Wherever you are on your journey, this podcast is for you. So if you're ready... Let's talk to this episode's Everyday Ironman. Welcome to the Everyday Ironman podcast, where I talk to real athletes just like you and me that are working to complete an incredible goal. My name is Mike Bosch, and I'm excited to have with me today husband, father, and 14-time Ironman finisher, Cowboy Troy Clifton. Troy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I am really excited. Uh, I am really excited to have you, and I want to to thank you for taking some time. I know that um, everybody has busy, busy schedules, especially in the um, kind of the sport that we are in. Right, we're juggling all the things, and to be able to carve out a little bit of time to come on the podcast, I I definitely uh, appreciate that um, very, very much. And, and what I was hoping um, to kind of to get us started would be for you to be able to give us just a little bit of a, a sense of who you are. And so maybe kind of talk about it just really quick, you know, um, are you married? Well, I described you as being married, so you're, you're, I hope you're married still. That would be bad if you weren't. Now, um, just kind of talk us through, like, what's your family situation? And, and then a little bit about what your athletic background is coming into Ironman. Is that cool? Sure. Absolutely. Um, you're correct. I am still married, uh, 22 years this year. Congratulations. Um, and we were together seven years before that high school sweethearts. So, uh, she's put up with me for a really long time and anybody that puts up with me through 14 Ironmans, you know, she's kind of a keeper. We have two boys. One just graduated high school a couple weeks ago and is going off to college, uh, in a few months. The other one is 16. He will be a junior um, at Round Rock High School. And that's where we live, Round Rock, Texas. Um, 
for my day job, I actually work for Expedia Group. I am a program manager. And in my uh, night job, so to speak, I'm actually a triathlon and endurance sports coach. So I Ooh. help people realize these dreams. Awesome. Um, and I've been doing that for mm, 10 to 12 years, probably. Um, okay. Officially kind of made it a business probably eight or nine years ago. Um, and sports background. And I mean, nothing in college other than the typical intramurals and lifting weights and occasionally ran. Um, and then uh, in high school was mostly football and track. Um, I did one or two years of baseball. Can't even remember now. Um, and so as typical small town, Texas, I grew up in the geographical heart of Texas. And so uh, small town, Texas, football was life. Track was life. Um, that was pretty much what we did. And so not a huge athletic background, um, so to speak, beyond that. And then um, getting out into adulthood and trained for my first uh, marathon, ran that, and then uh, came up with shin splints a month or two later. And a friend of mine was um, uh, lived in Houston at the time and was like, hey, buy a bicycle. I've really gotten into road cycling. It's fun. So bought a road bike and started riding with him. And um, whenever we'd go down to Houston, and then the next year he was like, "Hey, I registered you for a triathlon." <laughs> I was like, um, "What's that?" <laughs> Literally had no idea what a triathlon was. Nice. Grew up without cable, so all the people that are listening to this may have grown up watching Iron Man on TV. You know, Kona, NBC. Yep. Never heard of it. Never saw a single episode because we didn't have cable. So this was a whole new world for me. That is that is such an interesting, uh, you know, way to, to get to that point. Um, I can can relate to some degrees. I've been with. Uh, we'll kind of break that down. I've been with my wife for thirty years as well. So that's congratulations on that. We also have two boys. Um, you're you're. you're I, I'm not going to draw all the comparison. You're a much more successful athlete than I am. <laughs> But um, growing up also up in Texas, I'm familiar with the standard sports, but it wasn't like I, I didn't grow up with a swimming background or a, a, a yeah. long distance running or, and, it, and it, I've talked to a couple people now and it's a very similar type of thing. Like you kind of, you, you were introduced to one little segment, one little discipline and then a next discipline. And the next thing you know, yeah. you're into triathlon. You're like, holy cow, this is a whole world that I never even knew uh, existed before yep. I, um, I, I also did not grow up watching the Ironman races on cable TV because we didn't have cable either. But for some reason, somehow I was aware of it. I don't know exactly how, how that is. Um, and I definitely want to get into more of your uh, Ironman journey and uh, definitely what led you into coaching because I think that that is something that you're people have to be passionate about. They're drawn to that because of their passion to, to teach and to help others and all that. But I would like to know, besides triathlon, behind the source, what's the what's the most the thing that you're the most proud of? Like just to kind of round out um, us as individuals, because we're not singular focused and things like that. Certainly, uh, if you take just for me, I think specifically, if you take if you take family out of the picture, because obviously that's yeah. something that I'm super attached to and proud of, and all that, um, and take sports out of the picture as well. I think hands down is, uh, probably my college degree. Cool. I 
put myself through school a hundred percent, never asked for a penny from anybody. Um, and came out of it with significantly less debt than my college roommate. Mm. Um, so super proud of the fact that I did not pay on college debt for 20 years, like a lot of my peers yeah. did. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of having accomplished that first person in my family to get a college degree. So yeah, I'm definitely, that's, that is definitely proud. something to be proud of for sure. Congratulations uh, on that. I've, I've actually, uh, I'm aware of where Round Rock is. Um, obviously, um, it's just North of Austin. Um, a cool little town, Round Rock Donuts, of course, like everybody knows about Absolutely. Round Rock Donuts, right? I mean, that's like, that's like, a <laughs> if roadside, they don't, they should, <laughs> right? That's like a roadside thing. Um, but beautiful, beautiful part of the, uh, the country or the, in the, in the state. Um, is it, is it at the top part of the, of what we would consider the hill country or is the hill country more um, South? Yeah. I, I think when you talk about hill country, I, when I think of the hill country, I actually think of west of Austin. Okay. So if you take the center of Austin and go west and you start hitting dripping springs, mm-hmm. places like that, that's what I consider the hill country. And, okay. you know, that goes dripping springs in Fredericksburg and Lano and Brady, which is actually where my wife and I grew up was Brady. To me, that's the hill country. Gotcha. Um, so, gotcha. Yeah. The reason I ask is, so I live in a little town in North Texas and it's, it's definitely not the hill country and it's flat, but sometimes when I'm out on the run, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is pretty hilly. Right. So I was wondering like, what, what is it like for you when you're doing training, uh, you know, in your quote unquote backyard, do you, do you feel like it has better prepared you for certain things, especially, you know, on the bike or the run, not for the swim necessarily, but, um, you know, that's not a factor. Yeah. I, I definitely think it has. Um, there are so many places in and around Austin and Round Rock specifically for, from a running perspective, there's plenty of hills, uh, in my neighborhood. And, and that's where I do probably 90% of my running. Mm-hmm. There are endless trails around my specific neighborhood and along creeks and things like that, that, that we hit with plenty of hill elevation change. And then on the bike, I mean, I I've, I think my longest ride has ever, ever been, has been like 125 miles and you'd be surprised you can cover 7,000 feet mm-hmm. of elevation gain. So yeah, there's no lack of hills. And especially if you are riding West of Austin, kind of the, the notorious, what they call the dam loop where you're kind of circling, um, three and coming back up six twenty. There's, there's some pretty steep hills over there. So yeah, I, I, I have plenty of hills in my, in my neck of the woods. Gotcha. Um, so you had mentioned that your that you had been with your wife um, for twenty plus years. Um, you, you've been married. We were married twenty two. You've been with her seven. Did I have that math right? Yep. So yep, almost 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 thirty years, and she's put up. With you. I think your phrase. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I think your no. phrase is she's put up with you through fourteen <laughs> Ironman. Is um, is it something that she is interested in, or does she tolerate? It's definitely a tolerate. Okay. She's definitely tolerating it. Um, she is, has never once been interested in racing of any kind. Mm -hmm. Um, early, early on when I was doing a bunch of running and triathlons and stuff, um, I kept talking to her about the endorphin and the feeling you get when you cross a finish line. And so she agreed. I talked her into training for a half marathon and she did it. And she raced it and she got to the finish line and she's like, that's it. 
that's all. <laughs> you Let's go to breakfast. <laughs> yes. And she was like, we're going out to breakfast. I'm done. I'm never doing a race again. And that was oh, it. Wow. And, that and she's content. So yeah, she's just super supportive. Um, she has been at every one of my races. So that yeah. is awesome. And, and I think so, um, so far through my travels and my conversations, definitely establishing having the support of your partner, um, is, is paramount, um, to this process. My wife also has absolutely no interest in it herself personally, but super supportive of, of me and the things that I do, whether it's Ironman or I'm, I'm, I haven't finished my college degree, but I'm currently still enrolled and going. Um, I got, I, 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 it's just all the things she's put up with so much. So I understand, I totally connect, connect to that for sure. Um, so you had mentioned that you had completed 14 and, um, I, I know because I did some internet research or Facebook creeping that you have completed Kona. That is correct. That is correct. And so my question to you and, and is, uh, what led you to Kona? How did you, how did, how did you get there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, if you had asked me, 2008 was my first full. And if you had asked me back then, do I think I can qualify for Kona? For a number of years, I would have said, yep, absolutely. Um, I was right on the brink of it. I broke 10 hours at one race mm. out of the 14. And at that race that I broke 10 hours, I was maybe top 150 in my age group. Wow. I mean, it was insane. People yeah. were doing like 830. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I thought breaking 10 hours would have got me there. Apparently not. Um, so as it went on, racing for me just became a passion of, I just enjoy the feeling of completing something like that. I've done, um, I'm looking at the list. I've done 24 half Ironmans. Um, a number of shorter triathlons and I've done about a hundred races total over since in my adult adult life. And once it kind of got to the point where they changed the lottery system with Kona, then it became like, well, what now? Right. You're not going to, if you can't qualify and I've come very close several times. Um, I think I've come top 10 in my age group. Wow. Maybe three times, mm. but top 10 is going to, not going to cut it because nobody's going to give up their slot. Right. right. And you got to right. get top four or five. So that's when they came out with the legacy program, which is basically if you complete 12 and as long as you can kind of continue that journey, then you are guaranteed to do Kona one day. And mm. the irony of the whole thing was 2019 was when I did Kona. And that was really my last race before COVID hit mm. and COVID shut down the world. And I thought, is that going to be my last oh, race? Wow. Is that going to be my last iron? I mean, if I have to go out on one, that's one heck of one to go right? out on. But yeah, yeah, that, that changed everything in my mind because I'm like that, that might be the last race I ever get a chance to do. I don't know what COVID's going to do to the world. So, mm. but yeah, w- I think once I got to the point of, well, I've already done 10. 
If I do a couple more, I can actually experience Kona regardless of what my results are. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it just becomes a journey of, I want to experience what the greats have experienced. I want to run and swim and bike on those same streets and roads and water that everybody that we've looked up to all these years Mm -hmm. has done. So, yeah. There's so many things I want to ask you, <laughs> but, what, but what you but what you just said, and and I think we it's come up before, it's and I can't think of another example where you can compete. The average person, relatively speaking, right? The average person can compete on the same course in the same conditions on the same day as professional athletes. You can't do that in any other sport. Nope. May maybe the world poker tour, if you're into that, could you find yourself in that environment? But beyond that, from a from a from a physical standpoint, you can't do it in you can't go play the masters the day nope. that Tiger Woods is playing and you can't go to the you know what I'm saying? Like it's a that's that's to me is super, super cool. And so you so I want to ask a couple questions to lead up to this. So how how long was it from the time that you were notified that you were that you that you had your spot and the time of the race? Was it was it a year? Was it less than a year? Was it more than a year? Like how what was your preparation period of knowing, oh my God, I'm actually going to Kona? So I think the way that it actually panned out for me was when I registered, I think they notified me in like February of when my expected race date would be. Okay. And the irony of the whole thing was it was 2020. That was when they projected, this was 2018. And I think I registered in November and they said, you will find out in February when your expected race date is, Okay. which I didn't expect it in 2019 because I knew um, of the wait list. I knew that mm-hmm. there were so many people in front. And so in February, I got notified it was 2020. I was like, sweet can plan this. I already had a 2019 race lined up. Mm -hmm. I was doing Santa Rosa and I said, this is perfect. We can plan a vacation, make sure the kids can get out of school that week or whatever, all that fun stuff. And then, um, I want to say in maybe April, March or April, you know, just a few months later, um, Ironman reached back out and said, uh, you've been moved up to accept this you click here, right? Basically people like that were already on the 2019 either backed out or injured, whatever, for whatever reason said, I'm out. Name moves up the list. Okay. And so they moved me up to 2019 and I was like, okay, that changes things. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I was already starting to plan for, um, the other race, but what do we do now? And so I punted that race to 2020, um, which then get, got punted to 2021, Mm -hmm. um, and said, we're going to Kona this year. That's it. So we made plans. So when you got that, when they got the notification in April, was it uh, optional? Like you had the option of doing 2019. And so, so you could have said, no, I want to stick with 2020. Right. And then ultimately we all know that 2020 didn't didn't happen. Yeah. Right. And so God had a hand in there somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. So as you're telling the, as you're unfolding that story for me, I believe there's a, a divine inver- intervention all the time hundred percent, and little things. And sometimes they get, 
we make excuses. Well, it was uh, lucky or whatever, but I, I do believe that we're being oh, yeah. guided guided along the way. Um, so that that is super cool. So you had what uh, seven months to get ready, right? Yeah. And, and and I would imagine that you're in you're in good shape at that point. But seven yeah. months planning a trip to Hawaii is not a not lot so of time easy. to do those things, right? That's a whole logistical yeah. thing. Um, yep. so, so you were able to, you work for Expedia, so I'm guessing. Yeah, actually a number of years ago, um, we've always been big Marriott people mm-hmm. and, um, I used to tra- I used to be a traveling consultant and so I would always collect points or whatever. And years ago we ended up buying a timeshare with Marriott Vacation Club. They have a Marriott Vacation Club condo property, mm-hmm. uh, just outside Kona. Wow. In Waikoloa. And we were able to book because not a lot of people go in October except for Ironman athletes. Yeah. So I was like, it's outside of the hustle and bustle, which fits my personality perfectly. I Mm -hmm. don't want to be in the mix of the crazies. And so, yeah, so lodging worked out really nice and we ended up booking flights as quick as we could. And yeah, it all worked out. And, and so you, at that point, both your boys were still in school. Were they, were they able to, to go as well? They were able to go. They did not go. Okay. They chose not to go. They're okay. both in football. And oh, I yeah, guess yeah, 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 yeah. my oldest, both of them were basically not wanting to lose their starting positions. Sure. Which I, I, I totally did not. Understand. And the one thing that we've always said in our family is nothing that I do is ever as important as what you want to do. So yeah. don't let me take you away from whatever your passion is. So I knew that they would be supporting me virtually. And, and if that's what, if that's what they wanted to stay to do, I was not going to stop them from that. Yeah, gotcha. Totally tracking that for sure. Um, and so, how how was the the ex? I don't want to say how was the experience, but um, were you able to um, really take us when you got there and you and you knew it was happening and you and you, you now you're hearing it, you're smelling it, you're tasting it, right? Are you able to? have the presence of mind to really take the experience in and enjoy the actual experience or because and I'm not projecting on you, but sometimes in my life I'm, I, I, I look forward to something so much. And then when it happens, I'm looking to the next thing. And then I look back and think, Oh man, I wish I would have enjoyed that better. Right. And so were you able to take that step back and say, Oh my God, like I'm here. I've been working towards this for X number of years. And there's so many people worldwide that work to this. Is it everything that you thought it would be? Yes. Um, there, I have so many memories and so many, like I, it was almost a, I've heard people use this term before out of body experience. I think I know what that means now. Right. Mm -hmm. That I felt like I was watching from above the whole time, like embrace every moment, take a deep breath. Don't rush this. Um, At one point I was standing on the pier um, getting ready to go out and swim. And I literally look a foot and a half away from me and it's Craig Alexander. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's Craig Alexander. Right. Right there. Right there. Like I've seen the guy on TV and (laughs) magazines. it, It blew my mind. Um, so yeah, things like that. And even during the race, that was the big thing for me is I could care less about the clock. That was the one race 
I don't know that I looked at my clock all day other than on the bike where I'm watching my power and that's it. Mm. The, it, it just didn't matter to me. Um, I was focused on watching the fish during the swim. I was mm. focused on the bike, just enjoying looking out at scenery and seeing what's going around. And I can even vividly remember it was probably mile 24 um, of the marathon and you're coming up almost to where you come back down the hill and there are two big tents on either side of the highway of the queen K mm -hmm. and they have super, super loud music playing and they're all dancing. And I'm like, I have to stop and dance. Like, <laughs> you're in Kona. You like, have to. I don't. So, I mean, just embracing every second and thinking, I want to remember this moment and this moment and this moment. Mm. And that's, that was my only goal is to try to remember every single moment of the entire week. And I felt like I did that. So, Oh my God, that yeah. is so, that is so awesome. You, you said a second ago, uh, when you were on the swim, you were watching the fish and I, I, there's obviously so many Ironman, um, videos on YouTube and this, but there's oh, yeah. several of them that show the swim from the bottom up. And it looks like the water is the clearest water there ever was, right? Is it? Is it really like? Does it look it's, like you could just see forever? I, I've been to places like Aruba, and that's insanely clear water. Mm -hmm. um, Kona, it is definitely very clear. You can swim a really far way out there and still see the bottom of the ocean. And mm -hmm. at some point, you know that you can't see the bottom because it's so deep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can see for it, it's super clear it's gotcha. amazing the nice. the swells that people talk about they're definitely no joke like mm. you don't you don't really think about those ocean swells until you feel your whole body riding it like a surfboard and you're like oh, wow. wow this is interesting <laughs> it's a unique Ooh, feeling so wow were yeah. you given the opportunity to um to, to practice swim before you know the day oh, before yeah. like yeah I, I think I swam in the bay there two, maybe three times. And then I swam out by the hotel, I think once. I showed up, I think on Monday, the week the week before the race. So I could have plenty of acclimation and really just kind of enjoy the week. Okay. So do you, do you consider yourself, I mean, you're a 10 hour finisher. So obviously you're pretty, you're strong in all three, but do you consider yourself a strong swimmer? Um, I would say looking at most age group athletes, I'm probably a little above average. And I like, I think you mentioned earlier, you didn't come from a swimming background. Mm -hmm. My first triathlon, I was a traveling consultant at the time. I vividly remember going to the hotel pool, trying to figure out how do I swim? I don't mm -hmm. know how to swim. Like yeah. I can not drown, yeah. but how do you swim? And so it took me years, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I've broken hour a few times. Um, so I'm typically, I typically hover right around an hour, mm. give or take a couple of minutes either side. My, uh, my first, my first triathlon was a sprint in North Texas and it was in an aquatic center. So we were in a pool. My right. wife took a little bit of video. I, I'm still to this day, not, not convinced and a little upset that no one didn't try to save me from drowning. I'm flailing, <laughs> I'm flailing around in the water so bad. So I'm, I definitely come from the don't, I'm not, I'm barely not drowning, yeah. uh, philosophy. So you had, you had mentioned, um, that, that 
eight years ago, I think you said you, you transitioned into coaching. So you, you're, you're working a full-time job, you, you're, you're balancing a family, you're training for Ironman. What, what, got, what, what, what took you that direction? Uh, up to that point, actually, for a number of years, I had um, friends had come to me and asked for help, family members, hey, I want to run a 5K or I, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and realistically, for all those early years, um, I read books, I read magazines, I read everything I could get my hands on for triathlon and training plans and everything else, and just digested all sorts of data. And at that point, I was, I had been writing my own stuff for years and years and figuring out, I don't necessarily like the way that some of these people structure it and it doesn't work into my life. So I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And so then over time, it just became like, okay, I'm, I have so many people asking me for help. I either need to do something about this or stop. And so at that point it was like, if I'm going to do something part-time, I might as well get paid for it. If I can help people because I started somewhere. Right. And it would have been nice to have someone, um, kind of helped me along that journey. And mm-hmm. so that's really what started the whole thing. And, um, I keep my roster small. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I've always told my athletes that if the roster's too big, then number one, you're paying for services that you're probably not getting. Yeah. Right. I can't give you the attention you deserve. And number two, I'm going to stretch myself so thin that everything's going to start falling apart. So, mm-hmm. I try to keep it between 10 and 12 athletes because that's about what I can handle at okay. one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's not often that I have that many. Typically I would say six to eight is on average for a year. Mm-hmm. And then right now I'm actually, I've actually had enough responses this year. And I, I don't know if it's cause COVID's over and people are starting to get excited about racing, but I'm turning people away. Mm. Like I, I can't take anymore. I'm hit, I'm at 12 right now and, I know that that's the limit that I want to keep at so that I can make gotcha. sure that athletes get their stuff. And so, um, the, the services that you, so the app, so obviously you, uh, you, you help athletes manage some things. Are you doing, uh, is it more virtual consultation? Um, or is it in person? Like what, how is your interaction with your, your, the athletes that you work with? Yeah, I would say 99% is virtual. Um, there are some interactive things that I've done in the past where athletes that don't have a big swimming background Mm -hmm. and maybe they're in a different state, state or city, and we can't really get together. Um, I will have them videotape themselves. And then in turn, I will videotape instruction to say, this is what we want to work on. Right. And send that video back to them. So we've done some of the video swapping. Mm -hmm. Um, there are athletes if they're local or they're semi-local, um, and they need help with swimming or they need to understand something about the bike or whatever or run mm-hmm. form, um, that I will set up those one-on-one consultations. It's not mm-hmm. a regular thing, but it does happen. Um, gotcha. just to make sure that the, um, the athletes getting what they need out of it. Sure. But th- I mean, I have athletes literally as far as Hawaii right now. So some of them it has to be virtual. Gotcha. Oh, and, and I, I think, there's been so many bad things come out of Kona for, I mean, not Kona, come out of uh, the, the coronavirus, the COVID-19. 
but our ability to adapt to a virtual environment is going to be something I think will, will carry us through as an advantage. Um, so I, I totally uh, believe in the fact that th- these are things that can be done that way. I was just wondering if it was more niche to round rock or if you had the ability to help athletes outside of that local, uh, you know, demographic. So, yeah. because there's still like, I mean, so, so many big key things, nutrition, right. That's something that so many people struggle, struggle with, um, just, you know, balancing, the, the, the right type of, uh, workouts for the day and making sure that to what you said a second ago, that it's structured to, 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 to lessen the impact on your individual schedule because everybody works a different schedule. No, we're not, it's not cookie cutter. Right. And, and, um, and I know, um, you know, that that's something that, that I've struggled with. And we, we talked about it a little bit before we started. I, I, I didn't get up this morning. I didn't go to, I didn't go to, um, I didn't go to the gym and I've seen so many posts online where people are just beating themselves up about, you know, they, they missed a workout or the workout and, and it, and it's mental, right? It gets in your head and it mixes yeah. you up and, and having somebody who can help, um, guide you through that path. Right. I, I, I would imagine is so very, so very valuable. Um, so you didn't, you didn't have a coach yourself. You coached, you learned, you asked questions and you kind of, you were self-taught and now you're passing this knowledge to, to others. Yeah. I, I did hire a coach for my very first Ironman okay. um, in 2008. I, I think I used him. He was kind of a friend. Um, and he was a, prior to that, he was a professional triathlete and I hired him for mm-hmm. six months. Um, I want to say that I have hired another coach back in maybe 2014 and 2015. Um, just kind of needed something new, just needed to change things up a little bit. Um, those were really the only two times that I've had a coach. Um, I'm glad you use the term cookie cutter because that's exactly why that's one of the big reasons I got into it is because everything I saw out there, like you read, you know, triathlete magazine or back in the day was, you know, lava and you see these training plans and people are like, Oh, well, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. Right. The problem with that, and this is what I preach to my athletes is everybody's different. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's schedule is different. And that's what I want to help people understand is what works for me may not work for Mike. Mm -hmm. Right. And what, how I fit in my workouts, it, it may not work for you. And so one of the things I do is I send out a fairly lengthy document at the very beginning of a relationship with an athlete. And one of the things that they put in there is here's my schedule. Here's the availability I have to swim or to bike or to run or strength train or whatever it is. And so the schedule ends up getting built around their life Mm -hmm. versus their life revolving around training, because that's the one thing that has remained consistent for me is I can still train for these sport sporting events without impacting my whole family, Mm. right. Without impacting and disrupting everything else in my life. And so I build the schedule to fit around their life and not the other way around. Nice. Yeah. That's definitely, um, an advantage because, uh, there's just, you can drive yourself crazy trying to, uh, 
figure out how to do some of those pre-scripted training plans. Um, I've been, I've been very fortunate through my limited little journey. I've completed one full Ironman. I did two halves and I'm training for a third half now to get myself back into it. Took a little bit of time off. I hurt my foot last year. And so, and then COVID and all that others, I I got, I got a whole bag of excuses, right? Um, But I've been very, um, I've been very, first of all, my wife's super supportive. My work has been super supportive and I'm pretty good at time management. And so I'm able to kind of figure some things out, which I think is definitely key. I think the thing that I still struggle with the most is my nutrition. And so how do you, how do you handle your athletes uh, through that. Cause this is, this is what this podcast is, Troy. I'm just collecting all the free advice that I can get along the way. No, I'm just kidding. Fair but, enough. but so how do how do you coach your athletes through, um, understanding what the nutrition plan is? Because Ironman training is not a diet, right? It's not a, it's not yeah. a necessarily how to lose weight journey, right? I, I, I've been guilty of, 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 dovetailing that in a little bit, but you're not supposed to be on a diet and training at the same time. So how do you, how do you help your, your athletes through that? Yeah, I will. First of all, I am upfront and honest with my athletes that if they want day to day, Hey, what do I eat for lunch? That type of nutritional help. And especially Mm -hmm. if it is to lose weight, um, I see more athletes gain weight training for Ironman than I see lose. Right. And it's typically because they're not consuming enough calories and your body's hanging on to every ounce of fat it can. That's typically what ends up happening with a lot of athletes, but I'm upfront with them and tell them if they want the daily nutrition help that I have, um, a nutritionist here in Austin that she does all her stuff virtual and I am more than happy to send them to her. Mm -hmm. And she, she's helped me. She's helped my wife. She's helped Uh, so many friends and athletes, um, when it comes to sports nutrition and endurance and what am I going to take the day and what am I going to eat before the race and whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that stuff, I kind of have different, um, documents and spreadsheets that I use Mm -hmm. that will help athletes kind of give them options. I'm not going to tell them what to use, but I'm going to give them guidelines and say, well, if this is what you're using today, this is kind of the range where we need you to be. This, gotcha. We need this many calories, this much fluid, electrolytes, whatever. Um, and so we kind of guide them along that way to help them find what food works for you. Because again, just like the schedule, no two people are the same, yeah. right? And everybody, I have one athlete that makes breakfast tacos and that's what goes in her bento box for Ironman day. She eats eggs and breakfast tacos and others are like, um, can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So it really depends on the person. It depends on the size of the person. Um, the other thing that over the years that I've learned is it depends on the age. Mm -hmm. The older athletes don't necessarily need as many calories. Females don't need as many calories. Um, the younger males, man, it's like feeding a horse, right? (laughs) They need a lot. So it's, it's really, it's an individual focus, just kind of the way the coaching goes for me is I got to figure out what works for each person Yeah, and then dial that in. It is funny how, how we can be very similar, but so different at the same time and how your, how an individual's body 
processes, digests, absorbs food differently is so crazy, and I can't even get my head wrapped around it. I was talking to my boss the other day, and and she's going through some testing, and and she was telling me about her. I was like, did they give you a list of what you can eat? Like the list of things she couldn't eat was longer than I was. I was like, just tell me what I can eat, and she's like, yeah, I got that. But um, so that so that's that's cool. What about um? So you had, um, you, I would imagine you, you'd mentioned that you'd, you, you paid attention to your power on the, the bike. Is there yeah. a little, like what, what's your favorite, like what little gadget or little thing are you like, I could, I can't live. Like I couldn't imagine competing without this little electronic thing, um, or training. It could be training. Yeah. I will tell you the one thing that I've purchased in the last nearly 20 years of racing that has been the biggest game changer for me was actually the Wahoo kicker Mm. because historically, um, riding on a trainer is mind numbingly boring. Yeah. Right. I, I had a fluid trainer. I tried it. I, I was ready to slip my wrist at 45 minutes every time. Um, and during the week, because the way that I fit in most of my training is early mornings, like most triathletes, I, I wanted to have the evenings free for family. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would always fit in at early mornings. Well, there's only so many daylight hours in the early mornings to ride outside and it, be, it became a challenge. Mm-hmm. And then when I think it was like 2013 or something, when they came out with the kicker and I was, I bought one of their first kickers out the door, wow. um, thought I'll try it and fell in love with it and there is not a weekday ride that i do outdoors anymore period yeah i just don't i do every one of my and i it is it's changed the game for me because not just i can get in that quality ride in the mornings on the weekday i can do it indoors on the weekend if it's bad weather i hate the cold weather so in the winter i can still ride um but in terms of performance increase two to three miles per hour mm-hmm. after the first few years of using it increased in my racing. So I wow. went from doing 20 miles an hour in, um, a half Ironman, some of those maybe 21 or 22, I've posted 24 to 25 miles an hour in some of those halves. So it's, it's a game changer. That's a big gain. That's a big game. Yeah. Right. Um, so do you do, do you do Zwift or do you do, uh, one of those programs to where, um, I mean, obviously you, the, the kicker, right. Varies the resistance. And so you get the experience of all the things. And the thing I like about the trainer is different than on the road is you're always pedaling. You don't, you know, you don't come to a, there's no break. No, you don't coast here. You don't stop. You don't have to worry about traffic. You don't have to, and, yep. and, and I don't know what the scientific math is, but an hour on the trainer feels like an hour and a half on the road. And exactly so from right. a time management standpoint, like that's a win-win. Um, yep. So when, you, when you're when you on your trainer and you're using, do you have, do you vary your courses? Do you have a favorite course? Do you have the ability, do you look at the, the next race and you download that course? Like what's your strategy uh, or do you have one? Yeah, I'm not a Zwift guy. Okay. I, I think Zwift, quite honestly, I, I think it is a really valuable platform. 
I think it's more for social people and um, gamers, if you will, maybe. But I'm more of a introverted extrovert. Okay. And I just, I've tried Swift several times and I just can't get into it. It's just not my thing. So for me, um, I'm typically on trainer road. Mm -hmm. I'll do a lot of custom routes and custom programs on it. Um, and I read an interesting article recently in, in somewhere on a magazine or something. And it was actually comparing different platforms like that. And I, I never looked at it this way, but they said, if you're looking for something that's more of a social training aspect, but you're indoors, blah, 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 Zwift is for you. You could connect with friends and all this. If you're looking in to get a solid workout, get it in, get it out the door, specific you know, measurements, whatever, trainer road is better suited. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely my purpose. Like I get in there, like I'm here for a reason. Let's get it done. Move mm -hmm. on. Um, so I'm, tr I'm kind of a trainer road convert and I'll just do a lot of my custom training plans into build those into there. Gotcha. I, I have heard Zwift referred to as a video game, which I thought was an interesting way to describe yeah. it. I'm, I'm not on Zwift either. Um, I have a, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I have a tax T A C X trainer, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so I downloaded the that one. It's it's linked to Garmin, and I've I've not done it in the, previously, but I'm doing it this time. I actually downloaded the virtual course of yeah. the the Waco seventy point three, and so I'm just nice. I'm gonna see if it gives me anything. I don't know psychologically, maybe I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um. So in the introduction, I referred to you as Cowboy Troy. And you were telling me before we started how that nickname came to be, but could you tell the the listeners, because I thought it was an interesting story, uh, yeah. how you got that, how that nickname came to be? Yeah. So 2011, a big group of friends and I, um, and their spouses and friends and family, we all went to Ironman Austria. Um, some of them had been before and remembered what an amazing venue it was, which definitely lived up to its hype. And we decided we're going to Europe. We're going to um, race in another country that most of them probably don't speak a lot of English. So, you know, let's take a little Texas flair with us. And so I decided I'm going to, I'm going to do the marathon in my cowboy hat. And so I did. I, I ran the whole marathon of Ironman Austria 2011 in my cowboy hat and came across the finish line and got pictures to prove it all. And a lot of my friends later were like, you wore that for the whole marathon or just <laughs> the finish? And I'm like, no, 26.2 miles. Wow. And along the way, because, you know, you're wearing your, your bib with your name on it, um, a lot of those Europeans, and I guess there were probably some Americans there too, they picked up on the cowboy hat. And so it just became cowboy Troy and the name has kind of stuck with all my friends and, and everybody that was there. Um, and so it's now it's just an ongoing thing. And I still have friends that, you know, I see frequently and that's how they greet me is, Hey, cowboy Troy. And so from then until either 20, it was, I didn't do it in Kona because of the winds. So pretty much every full Ironman through 2018, um, I wore the cowboy hat. Yeah. Cause a and, cowboy hat with a chin strap just wouldn't look good. Right. Yeah. It's not a good and, and, the, and there have been challenges. I did, uh, Ironman Canada when it was in Penticton the last time, which I think it was like 2012 or something. 
and it's along a lake and it's extremely windy. And I had a significantly hard time keeping the cowboy <laughs> hat on the head in that marathon, but it worked. Now, is it the same hat the entire time or do you have, uh, do you have different hats that you wear or it was the same hat until, um, maybe 2016, I think, or I think it's 2016. Um, I don't know if it was all the water and the sweat or what, but it was a palm leaf hat and, um, it shrunk or my head grew one. Oh, so wow. I had to go get a new, I had to go get a new straw hat. And, uh, so the last couple that I did were in a different hat, but it was the same hat that traveled all over the world. <laughs> wow. That, that you actually answered my, my follow-up question was going to be, was it a straw hat or a felt, a felt hat? So in my mind, you know, cause Austria the first time it could have went either way. Cause in my mind, Austria is a colder climate country. I could be wrong. Oh, that's beautiful. Right. About it's that. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right. So Troy, you've been so, so very generous of your time. I, I do have one, one kind of last question and it's what did, what if, do you have any advice? Like I know you're, you're a coach and you've got your athletes, but if, if there's somebody out there that's just struggling, struggling to, to figure it out, struggling to, to make sense of it, struggling just to even to know where do I start? Do you have any, just any, just kind of blanket advice to give on, on what, what should they do? Like what, what, what could they do that maybe would help them the most, um, uh, to get through those struggles? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think it's one piece of advice. I, I can give a few pieces is, um, one, if you are in a financial position where you can hire someone, um, to get you started and you've never been in triathlon or endurance sports, I would encourage it. Um, short of that, I would encourage you to just go try, right? Get out, swim a few laps, um, see where you need help. Mm -hmm. If you're not comfortable um, swimming, maybe there, I, I specifically know of a, a woman here in Austin and that's all she does is coach adult swimmers. One-on-one. Mm. -on -one. She gives videography of the whole thing and teaches you. So seek help. There, there are so many people out there that will help you. You don't have to be the Craig Alexanders of the world. Mm -hmm. um, that's, the, that's the biggest misconception that I hear from people is, well, I'm not fast. Most people aren't. Yeah. Most people just want to do something that brings them out of their comfort zone or they want to do something that they think is going to be really amazing when they finish. And that's all you have to have is that motivation to get out the door and try it. Um, people, you would be surprised. People are like, well, I don't want to go ride with anybody because I'm going to slow them down or I don't want to ride with them because I'm not that experienced and I'm afraid they're going to, you know, judge me. Most people that I know, I, I don't know anybody that's going to treat someone poorly because they've never done something. Everybody in my circle, everybody I know in this sport is welcoming with open arms. Yeah. So reach out, talk to the local shops. Those people are always in connection or a lot of them are triathletes or endurance sports athletes themselves. Um, make those connections with people until you can kind of get into your own 
zone and figure out this is going to work well for me or no, I need to do something else. And that's the last piece, which is don't be rigid. Um, don't think that if someone posts a training plan in a magazine or online and that if you don't feel like you can live up to the expectations of that workout, that somehow you're a failure because that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Everybody mm-hmm. is unique and everybody's starting somewhere different. Yeah. And everybody has physical and mental and emotional challenges of their own. I have my own challenges that I have to deal with. And then the athletes that I coach, each one of them is unique with that. So find someone that you can befriend and help you kind of make that first step. But that's the biggest thing. It's just, it's, it's go step out your front door. Yeah, that is, that is so much better advice than I was expecting. I appreciate that. Um, definitely, um, you, you know, triathlon is a, is a sing, I guess there's relay events, but it's a single singular sport, but nobody does it by themselves and, and making sure that you get yourself plugged in and, and get some sort of support is definitely key. And while having a, a, a coach to guide you through that path is ideal. Not everybody does or can, but I think to your point, there are definitely, um, resources available. I mean, as an example, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I, I, I connected to you through a Facebook group, right? Um, so there's very likely no matter where you are in the world, if you're training for a particular race, there's likely a Facebook group specific for that race of other athletes, that can help answer questions and provide, if nothing else, motivation. Sometimes you just need yeah. motivation, right? Just you need somebody to tell you that you're that you're doing a good job and your yeah. your your effort is valuable and all that. And so that I've, I've found that those groups are very very uh, beneficial for for that, if nothing else. Um, so definitely do that. So, um, so you've got Santa Rosa. This year? Is that right? Nope. Um, Santa Rosa is no longer. They, they ended Santa Rosa and turned it into Sacramento. Okay. And so when they did that last year and said, well, you obviously can't race in 2020, but here's your options to postpone your race. And um, I did not want to go race in Sacramento, but Coeur d'Alene is a full this year. Ooh. And Coeur d'Alene was my very first. And I've done it one other time. And so this will be the third time. And I have been racing with a woman since 2000, 2011, actually 2010. We've done nearly every Ironman together, except um, the Texas ones that I've done and Kona, because she doesn't do the heat. Mm. Um, And she has a house in Coeur d'Alene, vacation Mm. property. Mm -hmm. And so Coeur d'Alene was kind of a second home. And so we're, we have a huge group going up this year and we're racing Coeur d'Alene. And then I had, at some point I had registered, I think in 2020, I had registered for Chattanooga, um, which will be my third or fourth trip there. Cause that's a great race too. And so that got postponed. So technically I have two races coming up this year. Wow. And when, when is Coeur d'Alene? Uh, it is in two weeks, <laughs> a little over two weeks. Oh, it's wow. 27th. Oh, yeah. It's close. Yeah, I saw I saw that uh, 
So it'll it actually. So what's funny is when this airs, you will have already uh, raced Coeur d'Alene by the time. Yeah. Just just how things work. Uh, so I'm going to wish you. Uh, a great race in Coeur d'Alene and hopefully the listeners will be able to uh, wish you a great race in Chattanooga uh, because that's in September, right? Yes. Yeah. This will, this will air obviously before then. Uh, I've heard Chattanooga is super hot. Uh, Um, It was one year. It was not the year I was there, but it it was really, really hot one year. Um, It's, it's an amazing race. Yeah. It's, it really is cool. I'm so. I'm fascinated by the fact that the bike is in two states. Yes. I'm just fat I don't know why gorgeous. I'm fascinated by that. The river swim would be my advantage. That was the race I was going to do originally when I found it was a river swim because I needed all the help I could get. But I oh. ended up doing Texas uh instead. Um Yeah. So it's really fast. <laughs> I know I know that you said you're full this year. You're you're out of athletes, but the way the internet world works, somebody could stumble upon this podcast five years from now. So if yeah. they were like, hey, I want to see if Troy is available for coaching, how would somebody reach out to you? My website is the best way. Which and is? C4 Endurance. So C is in Charlie for the number, endurance.com. Perfect. And I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes for that because you yeah. never know 10 years from now somebody might be stumbling across something and, and like hey, this even if they it. don't for anybody that is looking at some Ironman races around the world if you go to the news page on there and then you go to the archives I have written race reports on nearly every one of my fools Ooh. including Kona so a wealth of information I still have friends that are racing that I haven't um, connected with in years and they're, they're doing Coeur d'Alene and they're like, Hey, didn't you write a race report? And I'm like, yeah, a couple times. <laughs> so nice. go read the race reports. It's again, to your point about Facebook groups and there is so much, there's a wealth of information and people are willing to share details that will help you on your journey. So read up. Um, hopefully it will help someone out there. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I'm going to go read, I'm going to read your race race report on Kona just because, um, I think that'd be super cool. And, um, I, I will, I'm not going to do 12 and I'm not fast enough. So I'm never getting, I'm never getting there. So that's okay. Uh, it's not for everybody, I guess. Um, well, Hey, uh, Troy can't thank you enough, uh, for the time, uh, this evening. Uh, I wish you all the success. Uh, you have been just a wealth of knowledge and hopefully, um, the listeners have a got a little bit more sense of, of who you are in your journey, but B also maybe uh, got a little bit of uh, encouragement and direction yeah. and, and said, Hey, you know what? It's okay. I can reach out and talk to some people. I can get some support and it'll just help me along the way. So that's really the goal of this deal. So thank you so much uh, for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, advice that you would like to share, or would like to be a guest on the show and share your story, you can email everydayironmanpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow on Instagram at everydayironmanpodcast. Until next time, keep moving forward.